0: Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on the panel we have Alan Weimar. Hello. And me, Sasha Wolf. And we have a special guest again this week. And this week joins us Adolfo Net. And I hope I didn't butcher your name, because usually I practice it and then I butcher it. No, so it's... why don't you tell people why you're here on the show and who you are and why everybody should know you.
1: Hi Sasha, hi Alan. Well, my my
0: name was perfectly pronounced, it's okay.
1: And I'm here to talk about how I learned a little bit of Erlang during Advent of Code 2021.
0: Yeah, you're also running a Telegram group, right?
1: <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I'm also... Uh, I created the Elixir World Telegram group. There is also the Hello Erlang podcast, which just launched a few days ago. Yes, and I, I have this channel where I... Uh, For instance, there there is a talk by Simon Thompson about Erlang, language processing with Erlang. There is also a talk by Laura Castro about um, property-based testing with Elixir. There are many
2: things that I do here and there related to Elixir and Erlang. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com.
0: Yeah, nice. It was kind of funny when I saw the invite to our podcast episode, and I was like, wait, I, I don't, I don't, that, that name sounds familiar. And let me, let me check my telegram because I'm part of a group there. And so some, some interesting discussions have been going on there. So yeah, cool, cool, cool. now finally see you in person, so I guess, and then have a chat. And um, But to get back to our, to our topic today, you did basically some Erling some for the Advent of Code challenge. Why don't you tell our listeners if they don't know what Advent of Code is, what this is about, and what you basically did? I see Advent of Code as a series of challenges
1: that happen every day between December 1st and December 25th every year. So every day you have a challenge. And, and when I say every day, it's every day, even Saturday and Sunday, and also December twenty fourth and December twenty fifth. So that's one thing that I'm. I, I didn't do all the challenges, but this is how I see it. It's a challenge for me. I the, oh they every day they between these these two dates they publish a new problem. You have to read the description and write a program that solves that that task. Actually, there are two tasks every day. There is task one, and if you solve task one, then they present you the the task two, and for each task, you gain a, a star. Advent of code, I believe they present themselves also as a competition. But, of course, it's a competition only for those that are very good programmers. I'm not... Uh, an exceptional programmer because and, and also people that that wake up very earlier early here in Brazil because it's the the program the 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 task is published I believe it's on midnight on Eastern Time U.S. Eastern Time so, so it would be too early for me so what I used to do in no what I did in 2021 was I use I woke up. About seven PM, and then I I tried to solve the problem. If I I did, then I I submitted, and and then I went to the Erlang forums because I don't know if every, every listener knows, but there is now it's a forum, but it's called Erlang forums plural because it's for all languages related to Erlang. It it was this forum was created by the same creators. I believe I'm, I'm not sure, but I believe they, it was created by the same creators of Elixir Forum. So there is Elixir Forum, which is mostly for Elixir, and there is Erlang forums, which is for for Erlang and Gling and LFE, the other Bilingual languages. So after I solved an Advent of Code problem, I went to the forum and I I would read the solutions by other developers and some days I believe two or three days I also I also created a video then describing how I solved the the problems I I didn't do that for many days because every day it would it, it was getting harder and harder and then I, I in the end I didn't have time to create a video I had spent two hours solving a problem it was impossible to create a video. And still work,
0: so that's it. Yeah, nice. I mean, I, I know that advent of code is like there has a competitive competitive side to it. But from everybody I've talked to who has done these kinds of challenges, they are usually used in the context of like, okay, I'm always been interested in. Haskell, for example. So why not try to solve the challenges in Haskell? In your case, that was Erlang, right? Like everybody I, I've ever seen doing these challenges would really always in the context of, Hey, let me learn this new language over there and have some, some problems ready at hand. And since it's going over this fixed amount of time in December every year, you have like a, like also a fixed uh, deadline, so to speak, where you can learn about things and don't have to commit for it for like a nebulous. Okay, I want to learn more. I've done it for myself a few times, never finished. <laughs> That's how these things usually go for me. But yeah, that, it's it's a pretty cool thing, and like it's always like Christmassy themed, right? I guess from what I've seen, the the challenges are always like like this little Christmassy themed stories bun around with it, with like elves going on. For example, I do remember some elves trying to sort uh sort stuff at some point. So. It's it's a cool cool thing and a, a cool initiative to help you find a reason to learn something new. Okay. I'm really fond of it myself. And you can do the, the, the
1: tasks, the, the pro solve the problems even after December. It's it's there. Yeah. You can log in, true. you and you you get a star if you get the right answer. The the right answer is always a number
0: because it's some okay. solution. Well, I, I did not remember if it was always a number, but okay. It makes sense, I guess. It's mostly uh, algorithmic problems, I think, right?
1: Yes, I'm not sure if it's always a number of. Sometimes it's also a string, but it's not something very complex. It's all it's the the solution to the problem is something. For instance, it can be seven numbers, but then you have to multiply them to get one number, and then the advent of code site. Knows you, and of course, if this the number suppose it's a number, the number for me is different from the number for you because my input is different from your input.
0: Yeah, right. Right. That, that was something. I was yep. Yeah, you I don't, I obviously don't remember. Okay, um but I mean, as you already said, you for example created the Elixir word Telegram group. So I guess Elixir is something you're either interested in or you're already doing. So what prompted you to then? go ahead and learn Erlang? Like, what was your motivation there? I mean, because we already did speak about Erlang and, like, some of the legacies in Erlang on those podcasts and especially all the things OTP, which are something you have to know in Elixir to really be productive with it. But what prompted you to say, okay, now I'm going to go ahead and learn Erlang?
1: Well... I'm part of the education working group of the Erlang Ecosystem Foundation. And, nice. And there I got to know some people that worked only with Erlang. For instance, Brujo Benavides. I, I don't remember having seen any piece of code from him that it was in Elixir only Erlang. So I, I I want to learn that too. And then I, I've at first... And I'm still doing it. I'm still solving whenever I can, whenever I have time in a good computer. Right now, my good computer is broken, so I'm using an old computer, and it's very painful to code with this computer. But when I have time in a good computer, I try to solve an exorcism problem. There are there is this track, Erlang track on exorcism, and they have several problems. And one thing I like about Erkler Season that is not available on Advent of Code is that you have some mentoring. So when you solve a problem on exorcism, you can send it to a mentor, and that mentor because if you it's easy to solve a problem that gives the right output. But is it the best way? Is it the most idiomatic way of solving that problem? So that's how a mentor helps you. So Brujo Benavides has been my mentor many times. So I, I, I used to send... Actually, in, in the beginning, I, I just sent the the my, my solution to exorcism, and then Brujo chose because it was there. But now I... I have because X, that's a problem with this new version, version three of Exorcism, is that it's more difficult to get mentored. If you want to have a mentor, it's, it's more difficult because now you have to have some points and to. To get some point you have to mentor yourself. But for instance, I, I tried to mentor in Elixir, but uh, I, I saw that I wasn't able to mentor people that were there asking for help. Maybe because people now that are asking for help are more advanced Elixir programmers than I am. But okay, I, I'm still able to send my, send my exorcism link to some mentor, then, for instance, to Bruhu, and he gives me some feedback. Oh, you shouldn't be using that. This works, but it's better to use that. So this is kind of, of better regarding exorcism uh, than advent of code where there is no mentoring, you just have to solve. One thing that I noticed about advent of Code too is and if you go to Erlang forums and see the solutions that are there, there's also, for each day, there is a, how do you say? When, uh, a thread? I, yes, a thread thread on, on Elixir Erlang forums and also one on Elixir forum too about uh, day one advent of code 2021. Day two, advent of code, 2020. And sometimes the solution is so, it solves the problem, but it's impossible to understand. That's one of my motivations to try to to create the videos for, because I wanted to explain. I just want to, I don't just want to solve the problem. I, I want to learn. I want to, to explain what I learned, but advent of code kind of, it's not necessary to write readable code. You just have to solve the problem. I, I'm not sure if I forgot something.
0: <laughs> no, I think I think that, that sounds... I mean, I would still be interested in what prompted you to say, hey, okay, now I know Elixir already, and okay, you're, you're part of the uh, Education Foundation, so I guess there's like an inherent motivation in there. But what exactly, like your motivation was to say, okay, now I'm going to use this and try to learn Erlang." Like, I mean, as for from, from what I gathered advent of code was more of like an end to a means so to speak to learn some erlang but what were the what were the original reasons to say hey i'm, I'm interested in doing this oh
1: yes uh, maybe the reason mostly was that oh erlang is important for elixir so i want to to learn erlang too i'm not a professional programmer so it doesn't matter for me if i learn erlang or elixir or haskell I i can choose to learn whatever i want one point that I see there are not many people learning Erlang right now as far as I know and that's one of because Erlang is very important for elixir so I believe most people many many people not not most but more people than right now should be in the elixir community should be learning Erlang too okay the syntax is kind of different that you have to put how do you say the final, that dot at the end of each line and also the semicolon, but it's it's kind of painful sometimes. You don't have pipe, which is great in Elixir, but you don't have that in Erlang. But there are also many other things that are very interesting in, in Erlang and that more people in the Elixir community, I believe, should be learning and also... Maybe for some people that ah, I don't want to learn Elixir, but I want to learn Erlang. So that's part of our goal with the Erlang Ecosystem Foundation to provide resources for those people, too. We just started a podcast, Hello Erlang podcast, a small podcast, not a big one like Elixir Mix. And also i in Portuguese because my, my mother tongue is Portuguese here in Brazil. And in Portuguese, I'm, I'm doing a series of videos about the Learn You Some Erlang for Great Good by Fred Ebert, the book. So every video I, I describe, I, I explain a part of Erlang based on that book. So I, that's what I try to do. I, my my main work is with beginners. I want to bring more beginners to Elixir, to Erlang. so. I decided. Oh, Erlang is important for Elixir. I'm, I'm also, I'm part of the Elixir community. I want to be a beginner in Erlang too.
0: Yeah, okay, that that makes a lot of sense to me, and especially because you said you you're part of the foundation and, and in the what was that the education Edu- part or education working group. I it's, okay. it's
1: it's longer. I believe it's education training, but I'm just saying yeah, education. Okay. If you go to to the Erlang ecosystem Slack there is the hashtag education channel there. You can yeah, join. It. It's open to anyone.
0: And is there like, what are the kinds of things you're then working on there? Like, is, is this related to this? Was there something where you said, hey, I I mean, I want to be a be early beginner in the same sense that I'm maybe teaching Elixir beginners. So is there like some some intermingling there between these different perspectives of yours of saying, okay, I want to learn some Erlang, but I'm also part of this group. So maybe let's, Dive yeah. into this.
1: Yeah, I I see this as, as part of my work at as at the education working group. I, I go to conferences too, I give talks in I, I gave talks in Elixir Brazil. I have a podcast about Elixir in Portuguese called Elixir em Foco. This is all part of what I do at the Education Working Group. We had before the pandemic, we had meetings regularly, but then the pandemic came and we I know we had a meeting a few weeks ago, but I I wasn't able to attend. But I don't know, maybe what I do for the education work group is going to change in the the next few weeks because of... But for instance, one one thing I, I did with the help of the community was to find where Elixir was being taught at universities. Which universities have some course? that's related either either to erlang or elixir or any Bing language because it could be of course i know that it's it's going to be very difficult to find right now uh, a university course that has a a course on uh, a university course on gleam like because gleam I,
0: I, I would be surprised to just to, to hear about that but yeah
1: but for instance um, there was an interview with the creator of live no, live, view, live book, live book. The creator of mm-hmm. live book, Jonathan Klosko, and he told the interviewers that when he was at the university in Poland, he, he's he's still a student there. He's he's done so much, but he's still a student at that university. I believe it's AGH University in Poland. Oh, I had a course, and I could choose between El- Elixir and Erlang. So. There are, there are some, in, at my university, I teach a course, on, I, I use Elixir, and I know that there are some other courses around the world. So this is, was something that I did for, for the the education working group, create uh, a spreadsheet with several, the names of several professors that are somehow related to the Erlang ecosystem, also the, the videos I I have a, lots of videos in Portuguese and the podcast in Portuguese, and now some videos in English
0: too. Nice. I, I wonder, was there like some takeaway from the things you learned in Erling, and especially in the context of Elixir, right? I mean, we say, okay, I when I when I digged into this, and I also like applied this lens of education to it. Was there something you took away from all of that, and maybe even changed the way you write Elixir now, or you, the way you cha- you teach? Elixir, or the way you, you you bring the whole subject to people who want to learn more about this, like some interesting tidbits to share.
1: Well, the, the first thing I learned is that well, Erlang documentation is not as good as Elixir documentation. Yeah, for we me,
0: we actually talked about that at some point also in the, in the uh, this episode, uh, this podcast here. So yeah,
1: <laughs> when I I'm looking for something about Elixir and I go to that hack space, oh. No, here's an example. Wow, that's great! I know how to do it, but Erlang it's not so easy. And so that was one 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 thing that make makes it even more useful to be part of Advent of Code because I used to solve my problem, then I went to Erlang forums and I I would to see oh this guy that I, I can't remember. There's one guy I believe he's Daniela his Russian, Fedyaskin, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but he he used some some things in, in Erlang that I didn't know exist. So, oh, I did this way, but he did in a much better way. And that kind of knowledge sharing, it's it's not that easy to find in your day-to-day, at least for, for me. So that was one of the reasons. Also, it's good to know who who, who is part of the community and who is? Well, I want to do that because it it's funny. It 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 can be useful some someday.
3: So I think that from now on we should try to do Evan a code with method missing. Can we can we do that? Sorry.
0: Please don't, Alan. Uh, he's making a <laughs> a joke about some weird arcane feature I discovered a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there oh, was. Gosh.
1: In the Erlang Forums, there was a guy doing... I believe it was Fred Ebert. He was doing it with AWK, which is a scripting language.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know exactly. I don't know, like, how do you pronounce it? I mean, I usually only read it off. off AWK, yeah. And there was... It's technically Turing-complete, so yeah.
1: And there was also one person doing it with a language called Sester. S-E-S-T-E-R-L.
0: Which, I've never heard that one before. Which
1: is kind of like a mix of Lisp and Erlang, but I'm not sure. But if you go to Erlang forums and search for Advent of Code, yes, Sister, an ML-inspired, statically-typed Erlang. I'm,
0: I'm going to... So, I guess we should invite the creator to the podcast. <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> I would be curious. I mean, you, you just said that like your experience with Erlang Docs was maybe not as great as the ones with Elixir. So is this something which you also then maybe brought to the foundation in the context of, hey, we can make we can make this experience nicer for people who, who get to the language, right? Um, because just a while ago, Alan and me had an episode on OTP, OTP in depth. And like one thing which we realized in that discussion is that a lot of these more deeper level topics. It's really hard to point to one specific resource and say, hey, read this, and, and it will give you a gist of what you should know. But it's more a thing where you pick up little tidbits here and there by working with people who are more experienced with you. There doesn't seem to be this this one resource or like this list of resource where you could point advanced users of the beam too and say hey read this this is like the next logical thing to look into so i'm wondering is this like something where, where, where you especially in the context of like now you have this beginner perspective on it while still being somewhat advanced on the whole thing they say hey maybe this is something we, we could look into and make better and there might be even already be some initiatives you know about
2: but i think
3: for all those advanced materials i think they're all written in erlang for the most part like scalability with yeah, but yeah, I, like, like a, I said,
0: it's it's all. I mean, as also Adolfo said, it's not that it's digestible, so to speak. You, you get what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to go for here.
3: I think the docs are not digestible, but I think some of the books are more approachable, <laughs> at least. Yeah, I mean, just the the format of the the docs and all that stuff is, is also not as nice as Elixir, and I think Elixir got a lot of their stuff from maybe Sphinx or Ruby for like how you lay out stuff and all that, which is uh, super useful. I don't know. I yes, I, I forgot
1: about telling the their my group that their Erlang documentation is tough. Because I, I believe most of the people there know that. But yes, I, I'm going to talk to, to Bruhu. Maybe he has some he knows something about that. If this is being worked, if, if the Erlang documentation is going to migrate to Hacks, I'm not sure. One one thing that I really would like to to happen and I believe it's it's being done is to have Erlang on Livebook. I'm not sure if. Ah, so, oh, okay. But it would it would be great to have Erlang too on Livebook because Livebook, for instance, I I'm not sure if you know, but Valin, he solved many advent of
0: code problems using Livebook on his Twitch channel. Yeah, so I saw that I didn't did not didn't really watch him, but I I saw that he did that yeah. on Twitter. And
1: there was a guy. His. His his account on Twitter is h s e k u n. He was he was doing shorter versions, ed- edited versions of Jose Valin Jose Valin's videos. Great initiative. Unfortunately, unfortunately, there was a a tragedy there in, in the Philippines where he lives, and he he has been without power for s- several days. But now. The power is back. I'm not sure he's going to continue to add those videos, but I believe he, he has added at least three videos of Joseph Valing solving advent of code problems with LifeBook.
2: Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topenddevs.com slash coaching.
0: Yeah, that sounds like something which, which could also help with the making the docs and things more approachable. If like you would have more examples in the context of Lifebook, I feel that could be a big win. Yes, Lifebook is great.
3: Mm, I don't know. Using LiveBook with Erlang, I mean, I, I guess it could be possible. I'm just trying to think about how that would actually work. I need to see the architecture of how LiveBook is created, right? Because it seems like there should be. I mean, the editor is basically like almost like an IEX running in the in, in the browser, right? So you'd have to be able to run, you know, Erl within the the browser like that. Which I suppose could be possible. I know you can you can mix and match different being languages and use mix to compile. So I guess it could be theoretically possible.
0: So if you would have to make a bet, uh, what would you say is like the, the next the next thing which might happen, especially in the context of teaching people Erlang, teaching people Elixir, um, and in the context of a working group at the foundation where you say, Okay, this is like something we wanna focus on. Those are some things we already identified, those are some things we wanna take some steps on and any any like, sneak peeks you can give us?
1: What I can say about learning Erlang is that there, there's, there's already very good material out there. There's books, there are books, like Programming Erlang by Joe Armstrong. There's also an, another book. There is this free book by Fred de Bear. I believe the, the problem right now, what I can see here in Brazil, my limited community, is that people, what? Why? Why am I going to learn Erlang, which is which has a kind of old syntax, which that do, which doesn't have the all the tooling that Elixir has? Why? What's the reason for that? So that's why I I'm, I'm I try to between code sell Erlang to mostly to Elixir developers. So oh, you learn. You're learning Elixir. If you learn Erlang too, it's not that different. It's not. It's not going to leave you confused, and it's it's relatively easy to to grasp most of the concepts. And maybe maybe you can, for instance, you can help if if you become an advanced Erlang programmer. You can help the Erlang community by writing some tooling or by helping with OTP. So there are many interesting things happening also in the Erlang community that the Elixir community doesn't know. And for instance, do do you know about Nova Framework? No.
0: So I guess I proved the
1: point. (laughs) (laughs) So I even tweeted uh, yesterday, of course, yesterday, but if you type Nova Framework on Google, I believe you have to to write Nova framework erlang on Google and then you can find the yes. It's it's on GitHub as Nova. Nova is N O V A. Nova framework. It's on GitHub.
0: We're gonna include a link to the show notes if you're interested,
1: folks. Yes. And I'm I myself. I I didn't know that. I know that because tomorrow I'm going to to talk to the creator, but I, I didn't know that there was this framework. So there are things happening in the Erlang community that the Elixir community doesn't know. But I believe the opposite the opposite is not true. I believe most of the the Erlang community is kind of aware of what's happening in the Elixir community. So I, I want to to make the Q communities more closer, closer to each other.
0: And I think that's also one of the mission statements of the Erling Ecosystem Foundation in general, right? Like to take the work and to take the mental power, uh, people who invest in different languages on the beam and like make that available to everybody working on the beam. And then now from what I can see in Nova, it's basically, I mean, that's probably an oversimplification, but it seems like to be the Erling equivalent of Phoenix from what I can see at a, gl- at a glimpse, might be wrong.
3: There's also a uh, library out there called Zotonic. or Zotonic. I don't know if you've heard of that before. That one looks super interesting. It's like, it's not like, how would you say that? I, I mean, Adolfo, have you seen it before? I'm guessing you probably have. No, no. I, I know that okay. it exists, but I don't know what it does. It's, it's like a CMS, basically where you can like have like an admin backend when you can like set up your websites and stuff through it. It's all built in Erlang. Uh, They've been splitting it apart. Some Dutch company, they've been splitting it apart and they've been trying to think about maybe they might make it compatible with Phoenix. So people in Elixir can also use it, something like that. It it, it looks pretty interesting, but like it is complicated and it's using, it's all built in Erlang. So it's a little bit hard to kind of follow and all that unless you really know Erlang. But yeah, I mean, there, there is interesting stuff happening in Erlang community. But I think the history of Erlang and kind of their semi kind of closed nature and mysterious, you know, mysterious, like how do you actually learn this stuff has kind of kept them from going farther. And then like the newer Elixir community is much better at marketing, much better at kind of like having newer ideas based on. Newer languages and uh, people coming in who already have some cloud, like Jose Balim. I think Chris McCourt probably also had some stuff. You know, other people also came in. So I think that that's kind of what's stopping people to learn this kind of stuff is that you know it's just different community, different way of discussing things. Kind of like the C and C Like you have to build your own, you know, like build system. Well, how do you do that? Well, I have no idea, and there's no book I think that tells you the one way to do it because everybody has their own way because that's just the way C++ and C community is. You want to do a project, you have to do it from scratch. You know, you got to build all this stuff. Erlang is kind of a little bit like that too, but Elixir, no. I mean, they kind of came in, the, okay, we have to have a gems like system, okay? So we have to get Hex.pm, we have to get all these things. So, like, it's just totally different mindset. And, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, Erlang is is old, but it's not out, right? It's still, still progressing. There's still newer OTP versions coming out, right? Let's not forget it that part. Like the JIT, I mean, that's... That's on Erlang, right? It's not Elixir bringing shit in. That's all Erlang people.
0: No, no, and I feel like that is exactly the point where the foundation has promise. I mean, we have to still see some some things which come out of that. I'm I'm not sure if I have any seen anything yet, like or maybe it was under, under my radar, which would circle back to the whole marketing topic again. <laughs> but I feel like there's a lot of potential, in like getting some of the maybe like more experienced Erlang folks who don't have a lot of experience with how modern languages approach problem solving with like having everything built in, having a built to build in. And I feel like Rebar has actually taken a lot of inspiration now from Mix. Like so there has been some iteration going on there. So there's a lot of potential for, for, for innovation, but also taking what has been learned through decades of building complicated, distributed concurrent systems, which I mean Erlang is literally made for and bring that... And making that available for like a new generation of programmers who don't have to maybe then sift in the same arcane fashion through docs and figure out everything themselves because that that is not fun let's be honest that is just not fun some people might enjoy that i certainly don't <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would actually uh, on that front i would be curious like uh, uh, other for was there like any like two two, fo- two questions basically was there anything when you learned erlang which was surprising you in the context of this is harder than it should be, um, for example, build tooling or anything like that? And in the same fashion, would you say that every Elixir developer who has passed a certain level of experience should f- go ahead and learn Erlang? Is there value in that? So yeah, two, basically two questions uh, from so, our discussion.
1: So the, the first question, is there anything that I found more difficult than it should
0: be? Yes. Yeah. Any tooling, for example, I mean, mix is a great tool, so I, I could I could imagine that when you come from Elixir and go to Erlang, and then you have to deal with rebar, and I, I don't know to be honest, I've never had to deal with rebar myself, so maybe maybe it's now easy to use, or maybe it's hard to use. That's that's what I'm getting at, right? Like, is there any kind of thing which was like, oh, this is way harder than I thought it would be?
1: Well, the the, the first point is, if you want to run your unit tests with Elixir, you just type mix. Test. What about Erlang? Rebar three eunit <laughs> It's uh, much more difficult to, to, to remind. What's the name of how, how? do I I run my test? Oh, it's e because it's Erlang units. Uh, but there are these small things that it's the, the names of the task. And sometimes you, if you want something on Rebar, you have to download the plugin. But I believe that's true for for Mix too. And also, the suppose you want to, to flip a line to change the order of two lines in Erlang, and you you have to change the position of the comma. These are things that you you have. Ah, and if you if you are doing if you are programming in Elixir and then Erlang and then Elixir, oh, in Elixir you have to your. Your variables have to start with lowercase in Erlang. They have to start with uppercase. And sometimes I, I forgot and I, I couldn't find the, the the problem. What's the problem with my my Erlang code? And the, the problem was that I was thinking that was a, a variable, but it was actually uh, an atom. And the, the compiler didn't give me a good explanation for the problem with my code, so there are all these things that I know that Valin and the, the Elixir Core team they are they really want to solve that that small problem those small problems. Oh, this error error message is not that good. Oh, this out complete should go there and not that it should out to this and not that. And I don't
0: reducing friction, right? Reducing yeah. friction.
1: So you can't count much on on Erlang's out completion, for instance. So it's it's tougher uh, for me, at least. Uh, maybe a, a more experienced Erlang developer, but I believe my point of view is important because I'm I'm still a beginner in Erlang. So it, it's tough to to do some things in Erlang. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean the thing is, everybody, everybody, even the people who are now super experienced Erlang developers, they were beginners once too. Right. Yeah. And if if you have a good onboarding story, then you might get more beginners who transition to an advanced and then maybe an expert stage. But if you have a very difficult onboarding experience, this number is going to be lower just by the by the nature of friction. And yeah, so I mean, yeah. it's probably no surprise to anybody to hear that Elixir has less friction. I mean, it's one of the mission statements basically of the language. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. yeah.
1: But, I, I mean, I, I love the creators of Erlang and the Erlang OTP team. They What they are doing is great. And I know that happens mostly because it's a, a language much older than Elixir. Mm. Uh, and, and regarding the, the second part of your question, I, I, I'm i really not sure that's that's going to be a, a good bet. Maybe it's better if you learn Scala or... Some other language. I think that you can learn a bit from oh oh Erlang does the does this this way and Elixir that other way. But I, I don't have scientific evidence that if you learn Erlang it's going to help you with Elixir and vice versa. I just think maybe it's it's a good idea and you can you know that. Elixir depends on Erlang recently. I don't know if that there was an interview here with the, but in one of those Elixir podcasts, which are all great, but they interviewed a guy from the Erlang OTP core team and said, oh, now we have the the Bing has just in time compiling. And this makes Elixir applications faster.
0: Yeah, that's what Alan referred to earlier with JIT. In time compilation.
1: Yes. So uh, maybe you who are listening to me, you are great Elixir developer, but you want to, to help even more by working with the Erlang OTP team. And you have to learn Erlang for that.
0: That is true. And I feel like to answer my own question a bit, it's probably helpful to at least be able to read Erlang, which arguably is not that hard. I mean, reading it, If you have some kind of programming experience, a certain level of experience is relatively straightforward, especially because the concepts you need to be familiar with are pattern matching and the likes, which you already learn from Elixir. So, um, But yeah, I've had to read my fair share of Erlang when, for example, working with libraries uh, written in Erlang and having to integrate those. So that's certainly something where I would say it's probably worth the effort to at least have a basic level understanding of Erlang to be able to read it, and understand it. Um, But there's going
3: to be two big things that will trip you up, right? At least that comes to my mind. I forgot the other one I want to name first. Okay, records, right? Records are huge in Erlang compared to Elixir. Elixir, they're kind of like deprecated unless you need to use them, unless you need to interlace with uh, Erlang. And then the other one is... uh,
0: you want HRL to what,
3: files? want one, one
0: do you want to maybe explain what records are
3: no i don't talk about records anymore <laughs> <laughs> no I, I forgot they're like a old version of uh, old version. They're like the original version of how you would represent something like a struct i believe it's basically like a keyword list but it's got something somewhat different about it
0: i think it's i think it's a tuple, a tuple under the hood a tuple yeah where, where it's like a, f- a tuple first. of tuples I'm not sure if it's a tuple of tuples, but it's certainly it's it's a tuple with like the first value of a tuple basically having the name. It should be record. an atom, yeah. It's Erlang's it's like version it's, of structs, so to speak.
3: Yeah, it's yeah. So that was before they, you know, before we had like maps. Right, maps are pretty mm-hmm. recent in comparison. Maybe yeah. probably the most recent, like common data type. I'm actually yeah. kind of curious about yeah. How come I don't? know, I don't think anybody in in Erlang is actually using structs necessarily because they don't. I mean, they don't really have that kind of syntax. They have to do, like, underscore, underscore, struct, underscore, underscore, thing, or, or module, sorry. So, it's too bad they don't natively support it yet.
0: Do you want um, to refer to the yeah. second thing, which was difficult to deal with?
3: Uh, not difficult to deal with, but difficult to understand. Like, I think there's these hrl files. Have you seen this before? That hrl?
0: Yeah, but memory. They're, like, really...
3: header files or something like that. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, sure exactly what they are. That's why I get a little bit tripped up, because you don't have these things in Elixir, right? So I think they're like header files or something like that. I had to look it up, and I was just a little bit confused because, yeah, you hear that, you know, if you pick up Erlang, it's pretty easy to, to, to read, right, and all this kind of stuff. But then there, there's some concepts that are in Elixir that are not in Erlang, such as structs. There's concepts that are in Erlang. They're not in Elixir, such as records, but you can still kind of face with those. And also these HRL files, which don't translate over to Elixir terms, as far as I know, in terms of something.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's probably that's probably a surface area where the Elixir team, the documentation on the Elixir front, could probably help you better. but but there could be like some level of resource, like, okay, um, we have written up like a small guidelines. If you want to look into some Erlang, if you want to read some Erlang, those are some key differences you should know about. I feel like that could be super valuable to people to to make Erlang a bit more accessible. And in the same vein, I feel um, I mean, sometimes the Elixir docs do that, but not that often where they refer to Erlang documentation. Because there has there is a lot of really, really valuable and good information in the OERN documentation, especially when it comes to on any kinds of clustering. There's basically no way around the documentation if you want to look into beam clustering. You have to read into the OTP docs at that point. But from my experience, you have to find that yourself. There's like not really like an like a linkage between the Elixir documentation with saying, okay, now for this kind of stuff, just go over to the OTP docs. It's really good and explaining the things in detail. And maybe gives you like a little bit of guideline because the the OTP docs can be very verbose and, and and terse at the same time. Like the, some parts are like super terse. That, that really you have to read the section three times until you really dig what's happening. And sometimes you have these very very dick declarations of like types, and then you have to skim over it and like figure out okay, well, what exactly part is the part I'm, I'm interested in now? And I feel like that, that's where the communities could move closer together and figure out okay, how can we make either resource better accessible to you uh, programmers of one language or the other? Does that make sense? I yes. hope that made sense.
1: Yes. And the, there is a an Elixir crash course for Erlang programmers on Elixir sites, but that, there's not the opposite for, for yeah. an Erlang yeah. crash course for Elixir developers. There's no. No such course. I would like to say also that because I believe it's a kind of a decision by the Elixir core team that they are not going to create a library just to, how do you say, mm. to pack an Erlang library. So some things are going to, you have to use Erlang. I believe Deque. How how do I, what's a Deque? It's a, a stack and a
0: queue. No, ETS. If you want to use EKS, you have to use the Erlang yes. module. There, so there's
3: yeah. We're uh, talking about D, DQ, right? Not that quite DQ should be probably the name. Yeah, yeah. There, the queuing library. Also, there's a queue that you can use, but it's only in in uh, Erlang.
0: Or timers. Timers is also something only available through through Erlang, and I've used it a few times.
3: So, but uh, yeah, like I said, I,
0: I feel like that's that's where the friction gets relatively high because then you need to jump documentation systems. And you need to jump documentation search also, and I feel like that is where where Elixir and also Hex could do a little bit better job to maybe I'm not sure how easy it would be to integrate at least search for example for OTP docs. to say okay, you can you can find it through Hex, but now you link to the OTP docs. That would already feel to be a big help.
1: And also uh, regarding that that Dequio, and also I believe there was did uh, do you know Laura Castro? She's a professor at the University of A Coruña in Spain. And she's mostly she, she mostly programs in Erlang, but she did advent of code in Elixir, the opposite the opposite of what I did. And I remember that there was one one solution that she she tweeted that oh, I solved this in Elixir, but I used very good, I believe it was the digraph library in Erlang. So maybe for a regular Elixir programmer, if he knows the, the many libraries that there are in Erlang and there are not available in Elixir, this could
0: help their productivity. Yeah, that's basically well, boy, what I've been thinking. That I, f- I feel like the, why the Elixir community is often very grateful for what Erlang has brought to the table. We are not very good at remembering the past yet, so to speak. And I would expect that a lot of the older folks with a lot of experience in the Erlang community have some very interesting wisdom to share on, on like, maybe don't, don't repeat this, these mistakes we did, right? And of course, there's always a balance to be uh, struck where you say, okay, we can't be conservative all the time because then there's no innovation. But at the same time, hey, maybe let's not reinvent the wheel every second week, like with Java ecosystem, JavaScript ecosystem. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I feel like, I mean, but again, that's where the Olang Ecosystem Foundation comes in, and I'm, and I really, I'm really, really curious to see what what can come out of that if we bundle up all of these superpowers, so to speak. Okay, any any last questions you have, Alan? Anything you would like to add, Adolfo? Before we slowly migrate to the end of the episode
3: yeah, no no
0: alan you're good too no, nothing from
3: nothing from my side now
0: okay then before we go to pics at all, for any kind of social media things you would like to promote if people want to get in touch with you how can they do that i guess we'll be ordering ecosystem slack <laughs> foundation yes. slack but a part of that i'm everywhere i'm on twitter
1: as adolfo nt it's netto but without the e and the o and i'm I'm also on their on Slack, on Discord, on <laughs> Telegram and the, the Telegram Elixir World Group. What else? Oh, and I have just launched it with Vyacheslav Katsuba and Bruja Benavides podcast about Erlang, which is Hello Erlang. The name of the podcast is Hello Erlang. I also have a podcast in Portuguese, Elixir in Foco. And, and that's it. That's where, where I spend
0: my time when I'm not working. Nice. Okay. Then we are definitely going to include a, include a link to those, uh, to, your, to your contact information, to, the, to those podcast, podcasts as well. I guess like the the competition between a, a Portuguese Elixir podcast and an English one. We, we can accept that. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> so.
1: I, I believe that there's no competition because... The... <laughs> People, it's fun because I know I can be understood in English, but I I will never speak English as well as I speak Portuguese. So it's very different. And the same is for listening. So Brazilians like to listen Brazilians speaking or other people from other countries speaking Portuguese. Even though we love Elixir Mix and all podcasts in
0: English. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Okay, Uh, let us transition to
2: Pix then. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium.
0: Ellen, do you have any picks for us this week? Please come back with the Rust book. I want to have a Rust book pick again.
3: Maybe next time.
0: Uh, <laughs> we have time for,
3: I may have something actually for Rust next week. Maybe you, know, you might need to remind me uh, towards the end of the week to take a look at it. But I think this week I, I want to pick Zotonic. So we, we, you really inspired me, Adolfo, to kind of talk about some more stuff in Erlang that people in Elixir don't really know about. Uh, like I said, it's like a CMS built in Erlang. And they've been looking at like bringing it over to Elixir and stuff. So we can definitely have a try. So I'll, I'll drop a link in the show notes. Let's take a look at it. There's a couple of presentations about it. Really interesting stuff for people who build like uh, like client projects in, Elixir, in uh, Elixir.
0: Maybe you should invite the author then. It could, could be like an interesting crossover episode, I feel
3: yeah yeah i'll have a try but i feel like we're booked out until april which is kind of yeah we are okay adolfo
0: any any picks you would like to do or should i go ahead if you need some few more minutes
3: no
1: it's just one pick It's the Erlang battleground blog they have blog posts mostly by by brujo benavides but now there are some some posts by Vyacheslav katsuba It's mostly about Erlang. I believe everything is about Erlang. Ah, there is a, here there is a post by Martin Rodriguez. So many, several Erlang developers writing some more advanced content about
0: Erlang. Nice, that sounds interesting. Something more to add to my never-ending reading list. Okay, let me open up my notes. So my picks for the week. Ah, because we already talked about a bunch of like, communities which are helpful elixir forum being one erlang forum being one i also want to pick a community i find i'm very fond of myself although i've been neglecting it lately um it's devtalk.com. and it's in completely no relation to dev like which is like thing uh, be, uh, elixinx belongs to right but it's completely separate it's devtalk.com and uh it's related to elixir forum in the context that some people from elixir forum like started it but it's more of a tech agnostic platform. And they have this really neat idea uh, where you say, okay, we provide you some means to figure out, okay, this has been popular in the last month. This has been popular in the last year. And the idea is like to have this aggregation of news sources and also forum, forum posts where you can then come back on a semi regular schedule, not maybe not every day and still get a feel for okay this is like something the community has been talking about and this is something which has been in a lot of people's minds and while i don't yet know how successful the experiment will be i really i'm really fond of the idea and there are a lot of really cool people over there when you especially in the context of this being tech agnostic where you can then share and discuss some ideas outside of the usual bubble so to speak and another thing which actually wasn't mentioned in the episode but I just and I already picked in the past is I wanna pick again is exorcism.org. Especially because when I picked it back in 2021, sometime, um, that was still on version two and they had a very, very big release in last year in September, I think where they released version three. And yes, like the they have this whole idea of mentoring where you can get input from people who have used the language a lot more and they feel that has been taken more of a back burner in version three. But that was basically a necessity because they just didn't have enough mentors in some languages. So they had lot, lots of mentees, but not enough mentors. Rust was, for example, one language where, where they had an insane long mentoring queue. Uh, but they had a whole host of changes um, for version 3, where they also made the tracks in the different languages not more specific to what the language offers and the kind of problems the language solves. So, yeah, I, I if you maybe checked out Exorcism last, sometime last year and wasn't really convinced, maybe give it another try because version three is here and it's there's a lot of good stuff in there. So it's a good good place to pick up a new language. Those are my two picks for this week. Okay Adolfo, was fun having you on the show. Was fun talking about this. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Sacha
1: and Alan, and thanks to everyone from the Leak Zero
0: Mix community. <laughs> yes, and thank you, thank you for the listeners for spending your time on listening to our incoherent rambling. <laughs> okay, and then tune in next time when have another episode. So we are out.
2: Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cachefl to learn more.